Psalm 67. May God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face to shine upon us that your way may be known on the earth, your saving power among all nations. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. Let the nations be glad and sing for joy, for you shall judge the peoples with equity and guide the nations upon earth. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let the peoples praise you. The earth has yielded its increase. God, our God, shall bless us. God shall bless us. Let all the ends of the earth fear him. Amen. Now, it's a short psalm, obviously, but it's a packed psalm. And really, the, the hymn that we sang just a moment ago is very, very appropriate for what we're talking about tonight as we talk about our God and let the nations come and bless you. It's probably true that this psalm was composed to celebrate the Feast of Tabernacles or the Feast of Harvest. You need not read it, but I'll just read it to you. That comes from Psalm or Exodus 23, verse 16. You shall keep the Feast of Harvest of the first fruits of your labor, of what you sow in the field, you shall keep the feast of ingathering at the end of the year when you gather in from the field the fruit of your labor. So there you go. And it's one of the, it became one of the major feasts in Israel. And it's a harvest theme. You can see that from verse 6. And of course, we're, we're in Thanksgiving season. We're thinking about Thanksgiving. We've all celebrated Thanksgiving. Some of us have celebrated Thanksgiving too much. And uh, we'll just... Uh, you know, we have to be thankful for a little bit of fasting time. But the earth has yielded its increase. God, our God, shall bless us. The earth has yielded its increase. And, and that's really a, a very important theme. We'll touch on that in, in just a few moments. But um, as we look at this verse, we can divide it into three parts. Verse, the verse one is a token of God's mercy and blessing. Second of all, we see a celebration of his just rule, and this we find in verse 4. Let the nations be glad and sing for joy, for you judge the peoples with equity and guide the nations upon the earth. Equity is a really good word that's been misused horribly in our day. Equity is justice. Equity is what is right. Um, you know the way equity is being used now. In fact, uh, whenever I see equity nowadays, I think just the opposite. It's just the opposite, you know. But equity itself was a good word. Uh, but there's a lot of words that happens too. Um, how about gay? You know, we sing different Christmas songs. You know, uh, you know, and uh, make the season gay. And uh, okay, words can change their meaning. Is what I'm trying to say. Inequity is one of those words, but it's a good word nonetheless. So anyway, it's a celebration of his just rule, God ruling in true justice. And then third of all, and this is the majority of the psalm, God is harvesting the nations. It's a harvesting theme, and it's true harvest, and it's true food, but it's bringing in the people from all the world. And we see this in verses 2 through 5, excluding verse 4, basically. Um, well, even that is there to come to think of it. Verses 2 through 5, and then again in verse 7. 
So we see the harvest theme in, uh, in one, the token of God's mercy and blessing, and also in 6a. So, let all the peoples praise thee. It's the Old Testament church singing and showing a heart and a vision for missions. It's the Old Testament church asking for what we have seen happen in the new covenant. And in that age, God dwelt almost exclusively with Israel. Almost all the elect were of Jewish origin. I have to say almost all, because there are a few exceptions. But very few Gentiles knew the way of salvation by faith in Jehovah. Even those Gentiles who did come to faith were called to renounce their citizenship and become members of the Jewish culture. Jewish isn't just uh, an ethnic nationality. Um, you, you can be a Jew and, and be just about any race as long as you convert to Judaism. And so it's always been that way. Um, they were the people of, we, we think of Ruth, we think of Rahab the harlot, and so we see that example there. But uh, we find that the Jews by and large had very little interest in evangelism outside their own ethnic sphere. They were the people of God in a national sense. To them was committed the oracles of God. Even Jesus Christ came unto his own, and the gospel was preached to the Jew first and then to the Greek. But this psalm goes beyond all of that. It looks for another day, a day we're privileged to have some part in, a day that we pray may even be more fully realized in our lifetime, a day when every people, kindred, tongue, and tribe will praise the name of Jehovah. So, The prayer starts out, verse 1. May God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face to shine upon us. Is that kind of familiar language to you? It ought to be familiar in some sense, in a different way. Turn to Numbers uh, chapter 6. Give you a chance to get there. Numbers chapter 6. This is the Aaronic blessing. But I want you to notice a little bit difference between the Aaronic blessing and the blessing that's given here in Psalm 67. This is the blessing that uh, the Lord said, Speak to Aaron and his sons, thus you shall bless the people of Israel and say to them, and this is where the benediction comes in. And this is our New Testament um, uh, idea of benediction. When we close a service, when we close the morning worship service, uh, we give a benediction. And sometimes we use a verse that's meant to, to reiterate the sermon, but we try to use a verse that has some kind of blessing for the people of God upon them so that you can go away with a blessing, go away with the smile of God upon you and, and understanding the smile of God that you have upon you. And uh, Aaron was to bless the people this way. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Now, I emphasize you for a reason there. That's not the way you really should normally read that. But listen to what the congregation says in this prayer. May God be gracious to us and bless us. This isn't Aaron blessing the people. This is the congregation talking about the blessing of God. May God be gracious to us and bless us. Make his face to shine upon us. Why? So that your way may be known on earth, 
your saving power among all nations. And so the congregation adapts it, uh, and uh, Israel itself becomes the priesthood as it's uh, talking about this. And this, uh, you don't need to turn there, but another verse that proves that is Exodus 19, 5 and 6, Israel itself as the priesthood, where it says, um, Now therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all peoples, for all the earth is mine, and you shall be to me, listen to this, you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words that you shall speak to the people of Israel. A kingdom of priests and a holy nation. Now that should set up another verse in your mind. You should be thinking about that as we tie the Old Testament and New Testament together. Turn to 1 Peter. 1 Peter chapter 2. A kingdom of priests. Talking about the stone that the builders rejected, becoming the chief cornerstone, a stone of stumbling, a rock of offense. They were stumbling because they disobeyed the word of God as they were destined to do. Can you imagine? That's what we're talking about. Okay, that's 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 8. But look at verse 9. You, church, are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. And if we were to take the time, we'd go into the book of Hosea and see by the naming of his children, this is actually uh, the blessing that come upon them. You're not a people, but you know God has made you to be a people. And that transcends all nationality, transcends all racial groups, This is the true racial equality here that we're talking about. Not trying to rise one group above another or or give one group special favor over another. Uh, There's only two kinds of people in God's economy. Those that know the Lord Jesus Christ in saving faith and those that do not. And it's as simple as that. And so all these other distinctions are human distinctions. But God's people are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, A people for his own possession. And the purpose is uh, to sing and proclaim the excellencies of God in Christ Jesus. Now, as we work our way through this psalm, and we're going a little quicker at the moment than we're going to. We're going to slow down in just a bit here. But verse number three. Again, let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. So before we're saying, God, be gracious to us and bless us, make his face shine upon us. And now Israel turns her thoughts out to the nations. And so let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. Let the nations be glad and sing for joy. Now, how would that be fulfilled? I know you know how that would be fulfilled. It's fulfilled in the promises made to Abraham. Promises were made to Abraham, and there's a number of them. I'll just turn you to one. Genesis chapter 12. Genesis chapter 12. Here's the original promise. The original promise to Abraham. And we could read the other ones, but that's not what the sermon's about tonight. So one will suffice. 
Now the Lord said to Abraham, Genesis chapter 12, the Lord said to Abraham, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I'll show you. And I'll make you a great nation and I'll bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and to him who dishonors you, I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. And of course, that would be through the coming of Messiah. And it just wouldn't be Israel's Messiah. It'd be a Messiah for all the world. A Messiah for all the world, you know. And, um, you know, that's Christ the Lord. Veiled in the Old Testament, revealed in the New. And his people uh, called many different things as the stars in the sky. Believe it or not, at one time, they thought they'd counted all the stars in the sky. There were a hundred there were 1,100 stars in the sky. Okay, so, and then there'd be a debate. Some thought there was 1,000 and you know, 101. And some said, well, no, I didn't get that many. I, without, you know. <laughs> well, okay. You know now, don't you, that there's more, sky, more stars in the universe than there are people in the world. By far. By far. Not even close. You know, well, they didn't know. You know. They thought they knew. But God knew. He said, I'll make your descendants like the stars of the sky. Then he says, I'll make them like the dust of the earth. I'll make them like the sands of the sea. Wow, well, you know, okay. God knew what he was talking about way back then. Because that must have been strange language to to people who thought there were a little over a thousand stars in the sky to find out that uh, dust of the earth and sands of the sea are like an equivalency of the amount that we're talking about. And this is the people of God. And you know what the New Testament calls it? A multitude that cannot be numbered, that belong to the Lord. A multitude that cannot be numbered. Now that's kind of inconceivable to us right now, isn't it? Makes me think, and I don't know, I would love the Lord to come in my lifetime, but makes me think that maybe we will see greater days than we know right now, Maybe we'll see greater ingatherings than we know right now. Eight billion people on the planet right now. You know, or maybe that's going to come in a day or two. I forget. Eight billion people on the planet. But you know, God's people are going to be a multitude that cannot be numbered. And that's a lot of people. And I believe God's going to receive the glory in the end of it all. And we could talk about how, you know, Spurgeon talks about how Spurgeon believed that there'll be more people in heaven than in hell. Uh, and I tend to agree with Spurgeon on that. But I won't fight you about it, okay? So there we go. Back to Psalm 67. Psalm, 60, Psalm 67, verse 3 and 4. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. Let the nations be glad and sing for joy, for you judge the peoples with equity and guide the nations upon the earth. We pray for a blessing so we can be a blessing. We pray for souls so that God can be praised by more people. But I'm going to say something that may sound strange to you. And it goes against the grain of evangelical society. Going to be blunt. It goes against the grain of evangelical society. We ought to care more about the glory of God than the salvation of individual souls. We ought to care more about the glory of God than the salvation of individual souls. And some of the reasons that we see 
what I would have to call foolishness in the modern church is because they truthfully are really trying to reach people. They're really trying to reach people. But we need to care more about the glory of God than the salvation of souls. And I said that one time, and I was challenged by somebody from another church. They said, nothing glorifies God more than saving a soul. Do you think that's true? How many times did the Bible say that? Let's open our Bibles and, and see where it says that nothing glorifies God more than the saving of a soul. The truth of the matter is the Bible doesn't say that. Obviously, we want to see souls saved, but, and we should pray for souls, and we should work for souls, but God has made vessels of wrath as surely as he's made vessels of mercy, and both of them glorify him. Is that surprising? Is that shocking? God's made vessels of wrath just as much as he's made vessels of mercy. They both glorify him. If only the vessels of mercy showed forth the praise of God, then God would make everyone a vessel of mercy. That's what he would do. But we need to remember that man is not important. The nations are as a drop in the bucket. We're just clay vessels. And Paul tells us, what if God, willing to make his name known, endured with much long suffering the vessels of wrath fitted to destruction? And then he goes on to say, what if God chose some in which to make his name known? What if God in his wise providence chooses to pass some by for eternal life? Well, we don't know the secret things of the Lord. And someone that we see as lost today, and they truly are lost, will come to him. And they'll be children of God instead of children of wrath. So we always have hope and we always want to work towards that way. But as verse 4 says, God will judge with equity. God will judge righteously. Sinners are in the hands of an angry God. He is their judge, and he will call them to account for their sins. And uh, Mike read it this morning in the book of Revelation. Somehow, Pastor Mike, you passed me up in the reading of Revelation. I had a feeling that was going to happen. You'd be done with Revelation before I was. And sure enough, um, by a mile. But, um, you know, if you're lost... You should not look forward to his righteous judgment in equity. Uh, you don't want that. You'll be held accountable for your sins. You'll stand before him in all your uncleanness. And it's no wonder, as we've seen in the book of Revelation, that men and women will cry out for the rocks and the mountains to cover them from the judge of all the earth. Let me illustrate it. Okay. Lost men are unable to help themselves. Let me illustrate that. Okay. Let's say there's a man stuck at the bottom of a well. It's a deep well, steep edges, you know, and practically impossible to get out of, but he's down there. There's two ways to get out. Two ways. Number one, he can be lifted out. Okay. There can be help available. Ropes torn, taken down. Jeremiah was in a, a deep mire pit. They put ropes around him, put rags under the ropes because he was a heavy man, and pulled him out. Okay. So that's one way that you can be taken out of a very deep well. You do absolutely nothing. Everything is done for you and you're saved. The other way is to painstakingly 
climb that deep well, painstakingly. The walls go straight up. But somehow, because you're an excellent climber, you're just um, magnificent in, in ways that you, no one could ever imagine. You plug away stone after stone, climbing and laboring and working with great effort, and you make it out. And now you've achieved salvation by works. Two ways to do it. But the trouble is, no one can do the latter. It's impossible, you know, because dead men are terrible climbers. <laughs> dead men do not do a good job climbing at all. And the Bible tells us the lost are dead in trespasses and sin. So what we really need is more than just being lifted out. We need to be brought to life and lifted out, which is the only way that salvation can come. So salvation by grace or salvation by works, no one will be in heaven with their works being the reason that they're there. It's the works of Jesus Christ. His works alone are sufficient for us. You know, so there you go. God will judge righteously. Christians are not under condemnation. God judges rightly, righteously. And the eternal punishment for our sins has been taken care of in Jesus Christ. Sinners in the hands of an angry God. Saints are in the hand of a loving Father. And no one can ever pluck us out of his hand. Nobody can pluck you out. And guess what? You can't even climb through his fingers and get out. As ridiculous as that sounds, I've seen that illustration used before. No one can pluck you out of the Father's hand. Yeah, but you could wiggle through his fingers. No. No, you can't do that. Because God's will is stronger than your will, and God is more powerful than you are. No one, including yourself, you're one of the no ones, no one can pluck you out of the Father's hand. Now, the glorious result is here in verses 5, 6, and 7. Let me read them to you again in this psalm. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. The earth has yielded its increase. Now, your translation may say something different than that. It may be a different tense. It may say the earth will yield its increase and everything like that. But really, I think um, the best translation of this uh, is the earth has yielded its increase. God, our God, shall bless us. God shall bless us. Let all the ends of the earth fear him. So, increase. We, we can see a physical meaning to all of this, as I said. This psalm was quoted, we think, at the Feasts of Harvest. It was a time of blessing. Agriculture was the life of the people. Uh, we don't live like that, really. We don't think we live like that. We may find out that we live like that more than we think we do, because if our farms do not produce for various reasons that uh, are real possibilities, uh, shortages could occur and become very real. But you know, in this day especially, the harvest was a matter of life and death. Think of the Pilgrim Fathers. That was a matter of life and death. If the harvest was going to come in, how was the harvest going to come in? And at first it didn't come in as bountifully as they had hoped. And it was the Pilgrim Starving Time. And um, there, there was a, a really, I really liked it. I don't do a lot of Facebook, as you probably know. But uh, there was a picture... And pictures can speak really loudly sometimes. 
picture of how many came over on the Mayflower, and a year later, how many were left. And they showed the ones that died. You know, there wasn't a lot left. You know, and so this a horrible marauding army that came. You know, I mean, come on. The pilgrims get blamed for a lot of stuff that they have no reason being blamed for. There have been injustices done. Yes, they were done by others and done later. But the pilgrims themselves were, were actually had a desire to see the natives saved. And they witnessed to the natives. And they formed treaties with the natives and, and did well. A little off the track, sorry. But it is Thanksgiving time, right? So a matter of life and death if a good harvest doesn't come in. But you know, God's been good to us. Most of us are not worried about starving. You know, even if you're homeless, there really is no reason you should starve. There are so many places to go, and so many outreaches, and so many resources. I guarantee you that it's true, you know. I've given away food to a lot of people, only to see them throw it away. They didn't really want food, you know, it's what it amounts to. People aren't going to starve in the United States of America unless they choose to do so, you know. So there's places to go, you know. Anyway, starving. Sin caused the earth to be cursed, but by the gospel, we see, the ends of the earth shall fear him. By the gospel, the earth itself will one day be redeemed for all eternity. And we'll see that as we finish the book of Revelation. You know, tyrannical governments cause a blight in the land. There's never been a successful communist nation that's been able to espouse the, the practices of communism and do well. They've never been successful in farming. They've never been successful in, in produce. Um, some China is kind of, um, it may be a communist nation, but they've kind of adapted uh, many of the ways that are anti-communist, you know and worked hard to, to do the things that need to be successful. Tyrannical governments cause a blight in the land. They're never successful. The freedom of America has given us a great way to produce, and we have produced. The freedom of the gospel brings a host of spiritual blessings. That's the most important thing. We just come out of the Thanksgiving time. Uh, I come from Michigan, so I feel a bit of an affinity to, to Canada, which is a very close neighbor. Uh, they have a Thanksgiving time, too. Uh, and, and you know that, Amanda. You know, there's Canadian Thanksgiving time. It comes a lot earlier. You can guess why, right? The harvest comes a lot earlier. You know, it, it gets cold up there real fast, you know. And so it, it's a great thing to give thanks to the Lord. What we desire is an increase in spiritual blessings, times of revival that have broken out in the past, real revival, not counterfeit revivals, not man-centered revivals, not Phineas revivals, but, and we see too much of that in the revivals of today. Not apparent signs and wonders that pass for revivals. Not the detestable doctrines that exalt man. Man's powerful free will. So powerful that God himself cannot overcome it and stand against it. You know, not what the scriptures teach. Not what the scriptures declare about our sovereign God. We see our sovereign God in this particular prayer. 
And if real revival ever comes, it will be a God-centered, not man-centered revival. And that's why the church growth movement can't bring revival. It's seeker-friendly. It tries to give men what they want. This prayer is for God to give men what they need. I was in Tennessee recently. And uh, whole family, you know, Becky and myself and, and the Butterbushes were driving through the countryside. And, and one thing you see a lot of in Tennessee are churches. I see a lot of churches around here. But you see a lot of really small churches around here, you know. And then a few mega churches scattered around. They had big brick churches everywhere, you know, just all over the place. And I asked Adam, I said, what in the world? How, how can this be? What are they doing to, to make these massive churches? And he said, they're pleasing the people. Oh, <laughs> I think Adam was right. You know, I don't know why I've heard that somewhere before, but I think Adam was right. This is not a seeker friendly, not trying to give men what they want. It's giving men what they need. And who knows what God might do? God may send revival even in our day. So don't lose hope, but pray. Now, verse 6, we've we've looked at, the earth has yielded its increase, and that has to do with fruit and harvest and everything. God, our God, shall bless us. God shall bless us. Let the ends of the earth fear him. God, our God. It's personalized. Let me me give an illustration. I can give this illustration to my wife's not here tonight. So she won't get mad at me because she hates to have illustrations used about her, you know. And that's one thing I've always promised my family, my kids. I won't use you as illustrations, and then I apologize afterwards after I use them as illustrations. Okay. But here's one, you know. And if Becky's listening on the internet, um, Becky, I'm sorry. <laughs> but just think of it this way God, our God, right? God, our God will bless us. I could say, Becky is a wife. Is that true? Yeah, it's true. Is it really cool? Yeah, it's cool. <laughs> you know, Becky is a wife. But what if I tell you Becky is my wife? I've said something very different, haven't I? You know, Becky's a wife, but Becky is my wife. You know, this is God, our God. What a blessing! The people of God saying that together. Glorifying Jehovah. He's our God, and he is. It's personalized. I just have to ask, is he your God? If he is your God, your soul should thrill to think about him. If God is number one, there is no number two. And the gospel will conquer. I guess I'm going to give you a mini-sermon tonight. Much shorter than usual. But it's a short passage. Seven verses. So there you go. The gospel will conquer, verse 7. God shall bless us. Let all the ends of the earth fear him. The gospel goes forth. That's why we witness. That's why we preach. That's why we send missionaries. We send Brett Shaw to England. We send Stan Subanovich to the former Yugoslavia, which is now um, uh, Montenegro. You know, 
Rest assured, at the end of the day, God will be glorified. All the elect will come. He will have lost none, and he'll have the preeminence, and he'll have the glory. You know, it's easy to get proud. Uh, Nebuchadnezzar got proud. Daniel 4, it didn't work out so good for him, you know. It's easy to get proud. It's easy to look around and say, look what my hands have done, you know. And it's easy. We get preachers together, and it doesn't happen so much in our circles anymore, probably because we're all small, you know. Preachers get together and, and talk about how big the churches are, you know. And if you don't have a big church, you talk about something else that you've done, you know. Or if you got a real small church and others are talking about how big the church are, you say, well, you know, we're more godly. <laughs> we're small and godly. So that's the way preachers talk to each other. Sorry to say, well, they shouldn't. That's wrong. And uh, I'm glad to say my friends don't usually talk that way. And the people we know don't usually talk that way. But in circles where they do, people think they're great. People tell them that they're great. Talking about preachers. They think they've done great things for God. But for all of us, not just preachers, for all of us, there's no room for pride. We should be willing to fill a little space. We should be quite content to go absolutely unnoticed at all. We should be willing to be made a spectacle. We should be willing to be ground into the dust and forgotten altogether if that will bring God the most glory. If that's what will bring God the most glory, then let it be. That should be our real, true attitude. For who are we? And if God has been pleased to pluck us from the burning by his sovereign grace, then to him be all the glory. Do great things. I'll tell you the greatest thing you can do and the greatest thing I can do. And it's not going to really win the praise of men a whole lot. But the greatest thing you can do is be faithful. Be faithful. That's the greatest thing you can do. Be faithful. And if God has just put a cup of water in your hand, then give him back a cup of water. It's the greatest thing you can do. You know? And that's up to God. He's the one that gives the increase. He's the one that uh, causes the fruit to grow 20-fold, 60-fold, 100-fold. That's his work. Our work is be faithful. And may God help us to be faithful. May God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face to shine upon us. It's the closing prayer. That you may be known among all the earth, your saving power among the nations. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. Let the nations be glad and sing for joy. For you judge the peoples with equity and guide the nations upon the earth. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. The earth has yielded its increase. God, our God, shall bless us. God shall bless us. Let all the ends of the earth fear him. Amen.